Thanks for watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. I'm your host, Mary. Today, I have on the show my sister, Martha, and brother, Lazarus. We're so excited to be able to connect with you today. <laughs> so just joking, Jim and Martha, so excited that you could be on the show. Can you tell our listeners who you are? I'll let you go first. Sure. So we are Jim and Martha Brangenberg, and we um, actually, like our our role, we've been married for almost 35 years, mm -hmm. and God has allowed us to work together almost all throughout that um all of those years, but currently we are co-hosts of I Work For Him, uh, a, a talk show that is on radio and podcasts that we talk about connecting our faith and our work. And that's really the, the realm where God's just really been working on us um, over the last couple of decades and being that um, mouthpiece to talk about that on the air. And in, the, in I Work For Him Ministries, I serve as the executive director of I Work For Him Ministries. Martha serves as operations and uh, we co-host the, the podcast. Everything can be found out about us at iworkforhim.com. But Martha really does all the hard work, and I just get to talk to people all day long. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's so good. So can you tell us a little bit about your uh, leadership story? How did you get to the leadership position that you both are in today? As possible. What's really cool is God intersected our lives together as 13-year-olds on, on Friday the 13th, July 1979, where we both committed our lives to full-time Christian ministry, three Ooh. years before we met, three years before we met. And so after we got out of college with four-year business degrees, because we we're both entrepreneurial, we then enrolled in seminary because we thought that was the natural step to being in full-time Christian ministry, not understanding that our, our savior was a full-time business guy too. You know, no, nobody, I never heard that sermon. So anyway, we, we started a role. We started a trip down the entrepreneurial lane, being mentored by a couple of people that told us that the business is business and church is church and they have nothing to do with each other. And so for the first 20 years of our careers, between 20 and 40, we really didn't understand that God cared about our work. And so we really acted like work was work and we worked really hard so we could volunteer at night. And then God started working on our hearts about 15, 16, well, 15 years ago and just started teaching us that he loved our work and he cared about our work and that everything we did in our work mattered to him. And that led us to where we are today. We just had a heart and a passion for discipling Christ followers to understand that no matter what they do, God wants them to represent him in their work, whether they're the CEO or a janitor or a lineman or a used car sales guy, a nurse in the front lines, wherever they may be, that God loves their work. And so we got into our leadership position today, not because we were looking for it, but we prayed for a decade, three things. God, we want a job. That's, we want to live in significance. We don't, we've seen success as insurance people. We are successful insurance people. We've seen success. We want to pursue significance in our success. We want to experience a, a job where our, our success could only be attributed to God in our lives, not to our natural gifts, talents, and abilities. And finally, we asked for a way to challenge thousands of Christ followers to live out their faith in the work because I got tired of running into people who called themselves Christians in the marketplace and I'd have to say to them, please, if you're going to act that way, please don't tell people you know Jesus, because that's not how we're going to, be. that's not, that's never going to attract anybody to Jesus. 
And 90 days after I prayed that last prayer, God introduced us to the idea that he wanted us on radio. And so a little, almost eight years ago, we went on the radio just talking about the con connecting our faith to our work. And we became really national voices in what's called the faith and work movement. Not a leadership position we ever thought, never had a desire to be on the radio or a podcast. And we did both right at the beginning, eight years ago. Uh, so our leadership position, we are here strictly because God pointed us here and appointed us here. And we're just trying to be faithful with what we've been given. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing. You both said that in a prior interview that 65% of Americans aren't going to church. And that was published prior to the pandemic. So I'm willing to bet that in this new normal, <laughs> I hate that term, uh, that uh, that percentage is far higher but that uh, you feel called to equip the saints and disciples for ministering at work. So what I, I guess I'm wanting to hear from you, how would one be prepared for this? And what are some tactical things that one could do to be better prepared to minister at work? That is a great question. And, um, you know, I think that first of all, it's really just understanding who God created us to be and that, we are not, um, you know, lacking in where he put us in our work, where we work, you know, our nine to five, whatever that might be, because not, not very many of us actually work nine to five, right? But just that um, situation where we are earning a living or spending our time, whether it's paid or unpaid, um, that it is where God has us on purpose. Like, that's not a mistake. So first of all, understanding that and really embracing that and then saying, okay, God, if you have me here, you have me in this, um, whatever it looks like now, in this Zoom room, or if it's um, on the front lines in a hospital, wherever it is, the people that are around you, that is who God is wanting you to intersect with and make an impact on. And really that's the beginning of it and helping people to, uh, to embrace where God has them and how he can use them in that space. Most people who, who call themselves Christians have not really learned what it means to be a Jesus follower because they haven't heard the sermon that says that their workplace is their mission field. Mm -hmm. That you and me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers, our employees may ever meet. They, they've not heard that sermon. So they're not sure what it even looks like because they, they've been taught that most of the ministry happens within the four walls of the church. And that's what I love about COVID. COVID extricated the body of Christ from the building. And, and so, yeah, you, it may have been 65 to 70% of the population of the United States of America wasn't going to church before COVID. The fantastic news is it's like less than 50% today is not going to church. They're going to church online, but there's more people going to church today than in decades in our country. It, it's fantastic. And so the numbers have wildly increased, but they're not going to four walls. They're watching it online, but they're getting exposed. I mean, I've, I've talked to all kinds of people who are not Jesus followers. who are like, I've been listening to these preachers. Some of what they're saying is, is make it sense. I want to hear it. But Christopher, we've got five practical steps we give everybody for living out their faith in their work. And we call it the I Work For Him Nation Covenant. Mm. Start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Look for ways to serve them over and above what your job requires you to do. Look for ways to befriend them outside of the workplace because real relationships give you opportunities to share who Christ is in you. Whoa, 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 whoa. stop right there. I've got to be friends with people outside of work. I'm out. Well, that's, because, that's because work friendships aren't really friendships. 
I know. There's you can't, so, yeah, so yeah, superficial. No Don't for... discuss politics and religion at work. I'm sorry, Jim. We need everything to be super service level. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you're going to love point number four, Dr. Sarcasm. Number four <laughs> is look for ways to pray with people when you notice you're having a bad day. So we work with people every day. We know what their normal demeanor is. When they come in and they're not normal and you say, well, how you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. And you go, really? Yeah, then you, that's when you pull out the Italian job. Really freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional? Really, how you doing? And then they tell you how they're doing. You sit and listen. And then you say, thanks for sharing. Can I pray with you about that right now? At work. I've never had anybody say no. Not once. Not once. But the last thing is the key. But all above, above all of those things, you have to be a person of excellence. Everything about you should scream excellence. You need to be the number one employee in your position in the company, whatever the company looks like, because if you're not demonstrating excellence of what you do, why would anybody want to hear about Jesus inside? Yeah, so those, those steps just really, you know, I mean, we've lived them out in our own lives and we just try to share that with other people for the purpose of saying, you know, God has a plan and here's some things that can help you in your workspace to look at it as a mission field to really see that, you know, you're intentionally intersecting with those people around you. Did I answer your question? <laughs> Crushed it. Loved it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Martha. Mm. Wonderful answer. Thank you for the insight into the, the way that you work with individuals to help them, you know, kind of see that their work is their, their battleground for ministry. So that's excellent. And I just wanted to comment that I don't, if you recall back into the sarcasm that if you recall back in the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus said that we have to structure these board meetings to have these certain touch points before we can actually start to love people and to be with them. It's like that, that was never the case. He's just well, like, wasn't oh, it there's someone who's hurting. Let's go love them and be with them. It yeah. wasn't in Matthew. It was in hesitations. <laughs> <laughs> You know, a lot of us, we do get confused. And that is one of the things that, you know, just I, I love that you pointed that out, though, because we, if we really show that we care about the people around us, then that's being Jesus to the people around us. And they, we talk about that building trust, you know, having that relationship that we, you know, we're joking about and everything is so that we know the people we're working with, and they know us. And so when they can feel safe, they can feel, you know, that there's a trust level there. So when they're in that time of need, you know how people gravitate to somebody that they know has something that they maybe need or want. And a lot of people, especially in crisis, are looking for um, that place or that person that they can talk to and share what's going on in their life. And what better place for a Christian to be than to be able to be that person that can then give them hope. Yeah, Christopher, if I could just add one other thing. You know, one of the things that we've learned through this show is that everybody's a leader if they have influence over two people or one person. If they have influence over one person, they're a leader because they're leading somebody. And we need, to, we need Christ followers to understand that just because your title doesn't say supervisor, manager, CEO, CFO, COO, business owner, whatever, executive director, doesn't mean you're not a leader. And you have the ability to transform culture around you. That if you're a Christ follower, everyone around you should be benefiting from your faith, whether they believe in Jesus or not. But when you start to pray for people that you work with every day by name, you know what happens? They start to change miraculously. No, 
you start to change. You start to see those people the way our Heavenly Father sees them. And you talk about a leadership transformation. You talk about virtuous leadership. That's what happens when you start to pray for people by name each and every day. And then you find out you start praying for them and their spouse or their children. Or you find out after we after I started praying for people by name in 2006, I then asked, I've been praying for you for a while. Is there anything specific I could pray about? And then you start to hear what's really going on in their heart. It's it's transformational. Yeah, so you know, this show, Jim, you just touched upon it, is all about virtue and leadership. I mean, I think one of the things that you just talked about is being present with people. You know, I think one of the steps that you said is like recognizing where people are at and being able to just be present with them, say, state, hey, you know, what's going on? How are you feeling? Is everything okay? And uh, yeah, so I love that. And then as you kind of mentioned, being able to, that's not one that I, I've done previously. And as a consultant, I think I could even add to that, you know, clients, mm -hmm. vendors, uh, beyond just employees too. And sure. I think that's a wonderful and, and blessed opportunity. So thank you for expanding the thought leadership there to, to both of you. Can you maybe drive this home all the way? I know, Jim, you started to touch into it, but can we dive into like a specific example? And I don't, I'm not looking for names, but name like maybe some examples to where you put these principles in place and, and how you were starting to transform the workplace. So I'll start first because it started impacting me first. Martha worked in, in Christian retail in a Christian bookstore inside of a church, which you would naturally think would be a natural Christian environment. I'll let her talk about that. But for me, when, when God, I, I took a job, I lived on the, the West coast of Florida. I took a job in Orlando, which is a 90 mile drive to work every morning. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to turn my radio on. I've always been a talk radio guy. And this is long before we ended up being on talk radio. And I said, Lord, I dedicate my mornings to you. I want to learn how to pray. And so I just started praying for people and God helped me, had me pray through bitterness and anger. And he had me start praying for, I, I just, God just said, start praying for your people you work for. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I'll do that. And then I got the names of their spouses and I could tell you all of their kids' names. And what I started to see was I started to see my own heart change towards them. One of my bosses, I had the privilege of being part of leading her to Christ after we almost died in a car wreck together. Another one of my bosses who told me, Jim, you're a little black and white for this leadership position. I was basically a, an assistant COO in a, in a several, uh, like a 30 or $40 million company. You're a little black and white. The business world's great. You got to learn to be a little more gray. And I'm like, well, then you shouldn't hire me because I'm a black and white guy. I believe in truth. Mm -hmm. And this was a, a man who was a professed believer. I had the opportunity to mentor and disciple him when the, when the Great Recession started in 08, when we had to lay off 200 people on October 31st, 2008, and eventually shut the company down in March of 2009. And he is a vibrant believer today. And I had a chance to disciple his son who never suffered a financial circumstance as a result of that because he had listened to the Lord. So I just, I started to see change. And those are people today. And then I started to see my employees that I realized I was actually a pastor as a manager. I had 25 employees that reported to me and I was actually a pastor to those people. Mm -hmm. And I could call any one of those people today and they would pick up the phone and they would have fond memories because they watched me walk through that and they watched my life change. It, it's, it, it transformed the way it did. And, and I started sharing this stuff with Martha and she had more, she had as many employees as I did. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I was thinking about, I was trying to put this in like the lane of a virtue is, um, you know, working in for about a decade, I worked in a Christian organization, like Jim said, running a, a retail establishment. And it was amazing. And I had great opportunity and great, um, you know, open open borders for talking to people, the customers and my employees and things like that. But you know how you, um, there are a lot of things that when, you know, you, you take over somebody else's work, they're like, well, I ask, you know, I do something and then ask for forgiveness later, you know, where it's like, you got to make a business decision or something. And, and I really, um, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, no, you know what? I need to just be forthright in all of the decisions that I make and in asking, you know, uh, for counsel or advice or whatever it might be within running that business. And um, sometimes that may mean that I don't get to do, you know, take the approach I wanted to take or do something. But I, I knew that seeking and asking up front and then and rather than making a decision and then, you know, finding out later, I shouldn't have done it that way. I just never felt like that was the right thing. So I don't know if that's, um, that falls into the excellence category or if it just falls in, it falls into the, um, you know, being uh, consistent, being forthright, um, whatever that might be. But I just felt like it's always been really important for us to have integrity in the work that we do, Jim and I, for years, we ran a used car dealership. That was one of our entrepreneurial things that we did. And our tagline was, where integrity is just a way of doing business. And in the Midwest, when we lived there, that worked. People had that Midwest mentality, you know, and they tr- we had great- Not Chicago, great, the Midwest. <laughs> great, great trust with people. Yeah, like Minnesota is yeah, where no, we were. No, like the other parts of Illinois, not Chicago. And the, Okay, so be, be kind. But then when we moved to Florida, sadly enough, um, after a very short amount of time, we had people saying, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you, I don't believe you that you fixed that car. I don't believe you that it has new tires. I don't believe you because they didn't have a culture of integrity in the used car business. And I um, say that seems like that is yeah. not really the typical, atypical tagline. It's not, it's not at all. And people were like, yeah, right. So unfortunately, I mean, after a while we were like, you know what, this is not a good environment to have a used car dealership because people don't believe, don't, don't believe that we're, you know, selling it the, the, as good of a car as we're presenting. And, uh, but it was, it was very sad because integrity is incredibly important to us. It is a core value for both of us in, in so many aspects of, of, I mean, in all aspects of right. life, but it comes out in so many ways. So that was an area where we had to say, well, we're not going to change our standards. We're not going to lower anything that we do, but that may mean that we are not going to be selling cars anymore in this area. And that's ultimately what we ended up doing with that. It, it was tough. Uh, you know, we wanted, you know, we were insurance agents and we were used car guys. Thank God we weren't lawyers too. I mean, come on. <laughs> so but, okay. it was, it was our, you know, we gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> so, you know, but in my first stint as an insurance guy, I left the company because they absolutely twisted you constantly to compromise your integrity in order to make a sale. But I stayed in the insurance business a long time, but I went independent and I and I and I proved that you can be successful and be honest all the time 
And because if you always put the needs and uh, desires of uh, not the desires, but you always put people's best interest above your own, you always win. You always win. And I learned that in the car business. I never sold a car I didn't drive. I never sold a car I didn't fix first. And in all the years we sold cars, it was a, uh, from about 15, we had one car come back. And I gave her her money back because I missed it. I missed something. It was, it was burning oil by the courts and I just didn't drive it enough. So, you know, that's one of those things. But I had three mentors in my life who were believers. That was on video, quote unquote believers, who, who showed me and demonstrated to me that it was okay to compromise your integrity because that's just business. Hmm. And I'm like, nah, I'm not buying it. No way. I, I just don't get it. How can you be a believer and just that, that would just be part of business? That was long before I learned that God actually cared about business. That was long before I actually realized my savior was a business guy. That Abraham's business was so big, he had 300 armed security guards. Nobody talks about business in the Bible, mm-hmm. yet they talk about business throughout the Bible. So anyway, I had to really work past that because integrity mm-hmm. was a virtue that is a core value. And I'm, all my mentors in the 80s, as I first started getting into business, all compromise your integrity and encourage me to do the same thing. Well, yeah. You just thinking about that makes me think, and I know that I'm not trying to judge here, but I, I just, for me, one of the things of like my guiding principle and guide star is just, you know, as you guys crushed it, it's the first principle prayer. And so if, if your prayer life is active and, and you take major decisions in business to prayer, meditation, guidance, et cetera, I just, yeah, that seems hard for me as to how you can be like, okay, I'm going to pray about it. Lord saying, I got to go ahead and lie to this person <laughs> to put money over the relationship. I, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't smell good to me. And, uh, but thank you for your, uh, you know, your honesty and transparency there. Uh, one of the things that I saw that y'all are doing is uh, a marriage cruise, which is super exciting. I'd love to, uh, I think you guys said that you do two uh, annually or that you both do it it's an annual thing. Correct. So it sounds like the best ministry possible. So can you tell me a little bit about that? How it started and what it looks like? Well, it's great because um, God just really gave us marriage mentoring as a hobby. Um, as something that we do together. We find that it strengthens our marriage when we're speaking into other people's marriages and walking through strengthening their marriage strengthens our own. And um, with some trial and error, with some land retreats, Um, It came to our attention that a really great option is to go on a cruise because you get everybody away from their kids, from their dog, from their work. Used to be always away from internet. Now, you know, if they want to spend the money, they can get on the internet. But, um, but they're so it's so much better for unplugging and um, just spending a few days focusing on the marriage, focusing on time with each other, focusing on what God has to say about marriage. And so we have been doing that for, I guess it's about eight or not eight years of cruising. Um, of course, we've had to skip a few, including 2021. So we did have a cruise right before um, the big shutdown. So um, we were very thankful in those marriages. Thankfully, you know, they all got that extra, you know, boost of um, encouragement in their marriages that I know has made a difference because it's been really hard for marriages. Um, but what we have just learned is that in our in life, and if you have stresses in your work, you bring it home. 
And if you're married, your spouse often becomes the, you know, the, the place where you have some tension um, because you can't maybe you're not talking about it at work, whatever's going on there and vice versa. If you have, if you have struggles in your marriage, you take that to work with you because, you know, it affects who you are and what you're thinking about and um, your attitude and your, you know, just what is going on around you. So we really believe strongly that, you know, a strong marriage is so important to the church, to the community and to our workplace. And so that's why we do it. So every year we just take about 20, 25 couples and um, have an intimate group that goes and gets away out of Tampa to Cozumel and just some time together focusing on whatever God might have um, for that theme for that year um, as it relates to marriages. And Well, it's been kind of funny. So we, you know, cruising is cheap in Florida. I mean, literally you can cruise cheaper here than you can go to a cabin in the mountains. I mean, you know, because we drive to the ports, there's six ports in Florida. But what we realized is it's kind of funny over the years, all the retreats we've done, we found out that most of the people that come are entrepreneurial because entrepreneurial couples suffer an extra layer of stress in their marriage because the money struggles with the business always come home. I mean, it, the marriage and the business are never separated in an entrepreneurial couple. It's not like, hey, we're going to bank and you work at a, uh, at a place where you clock in and out nine to five. Those people don't bring their work home. They might bring gossip home, but they don't bring their work home. Mm-hmm. If you're an entrepreneur, the work always comes home. It impacts mm-hmm. your fi- family. And so we've really focused, we now focus really on couples who are running businesses or, or yeah, whether they own their own business or running a business because they have extra stressors that most people don't. And ones we can relate to. Yeah. <laughs> we don't ever have any arguments. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as long as we're on the topic of communication, um, can we uh, talk a little bit about the performance review that you also have on the website too? I thought that was interesting to see that. So same, same kind of format to this question. How would one use that uh, tactfully? When do you use it? How do you feel it differs from other performance reviews and where did it come from? Well, it came from just a lot of practice. I'm sure I stole it from somebody that I used to work for that I, that I loved. I can't remember. It's been so long now. Here's what, here's what I know. When you're doing a review for somebody, it's always more power. They have to review themselves first. They have to. And you have to be honest with people. None of this, and, and, and performance reviews used to be, used to have one a year whether you need it or not. And, and that was it. And it never meant anything to your pay. You're always got 3% anyway. But that never did anybody any good. Performance reviews are meant to grow people. And if you're not honest in, in a performance review, you're doing those people no good at all. You're, and you're being a horrible steward of the people you've been entrusted. And so the whole purpose behind it is to ask real questions and to give real answers. And then to use that as a, as a blueprint for how you help improve your people over the year. Because if you're not doing weekly performance, you know, I've been told that millennials and now the digital gen, they want hourly reviews on how they're doing because they're used to instant feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, the, us, we're, we're, we're um, Generation X, you know, and the boomers, they were used to getting one a year and the traditionalists, they just, hey, if he's not yelling at me, I guess I'm doing okay. You know, so go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, we had a lot of conversations as entrepreneurs that, um the value of your employee always knowing where they stand, you know, that 
Um, Jim, when I, when I, when we weren't working on our business together and I was in Christian retail, um, we had this discussion about the fact that when you do a review, nothing should be a surprise to an employee. They should already know what they should be working on because you've had that ongoing dialogue about, you know, areas where they've fallen short and the areas that they're succeeding in really well because we always want to be spurring people onto their own personal growth. And you don't wait until January every year to do that. Such a big you know, and so that was one of the reasons we started to actually have shows where we would talk about performance reviews and giving feedback because it's almost it's like withholding information from them and not being honest with your employees or your coworkers or whatever if you're not giving them that feedback that helps them to grow as an individual. If something comes up as a surprise in an employee review, you have an issue with you, not them. As a manager. (laughs) And, and, you know, the other thing is I'm of the management school that says if you manage your people well, you'll never have to fire anybody ever because Mm -hmm. they'll either thrive or they'll leave. You'll never have to fire them because if you manage people and you hold them accountable, they're either going to respond to the accountability or they're going to reject the accountability. But if you don't ever hold them accountable, they'll stay as long as you let them. But as Christ followers, Jesus loved all of the difficult people in his life. Even Lazarus, who he knew the gig was up with Lazarus, and he loved him right to the very end, told him, go ahead and do what you got to do. You know, I... There was no surprises. Jesus told people, but he loved them. And as managers of people, we need to love them. And you can't love them if you're not speaking truth into them. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. How can um, people find that performance review and the work that you're you're doing together as well? Sure. Our website is iworkforhim.com. That's iwork, the number four, him.com. And that you can find everything there that we've been talking about, our podcasts, um, our blogs, the performance review that you referred to. Under the resources tab. Under the resources. And um, then also our newest thing that's on there is the Awaken Podcast Network, which is a collection of over 120 different podcasts that are all speaking into connecting our faith and work in different lanes, you know, talking from different perspectives, different um uh, points of view. And we have that there for people to help them to be able to, to find what can help them take their next steps forward in leadership and, and wherever they are in their work. So I work for him.com. Great. <clears throat> That's excellent. And uh, yeah, as you were talking about um, the performance review process, I, I actually am learning from that a little bit, Jim, because my mentor, the, the template that I have is actually kind of one-sided but a millennial actually just brought up that he's kind of used to from his prior employer that it's a two two-folded performance review where they get to review the manager too. And and but it kind of like as you're saying, just like it adds a, an extra like complexity and makes it more dynamic when the uh, employee is actually reviewing themselves. So you can kind of see that hand in hand and and then be able to talk about the variance and gaps that might be happening from way the way that the uh, manager is reviewing the employee. And, and yeah, I just think that could be a very interesting dynamic to see what that would look like if, if you know, the employee is thinking, okay, I'm doing this wonderful job and the manager is, you know, having to coach in different areas and, and vice versa. So that, yeah, thank you. That 360 mm-hmm. review process 
if, if somebody's being a Christ follower as a leader, they're supposed to be selflessly serving all of those that they have reporting to them. And if they want to, if they really want to have a successful company, organization, whatever it is, if they're going to, li- they should listen to the people underneath them. That's why they hired them in the first place. They hire good people to work on their team. Let them give you some feedback. Let your coworkers give you feedback. Let your boss give you feedback. Let your employees give you feedback. Let them, I mean, that's what helps make us better. And yeah. a lot of times God speaks through other people when we're not listening. And it can be really powerful. Well, thanks again. Uh, really have enjoyed everything that you guys brought to the Leading Virtuously podcast. Uh, we'll definitely uh, make sure that uh, we we send this out and this has just been such a, a great episode. I really enjoyed both of your energy and, and what a, a witness to the faith to be together as long as you have to be working together and to be so joy-filled. That's just, I'm just so encouraged. She's incredible. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you guys so much. Look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thank you. thank you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. (laughs) Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.